Well, today's Bible reading is taken from Genesis 27 and 28. And if you use the church Bibles, it's on page 21. And it says this. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so they could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, a younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She put the delicious food and the bread which she prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit it up, sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. It is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. 
As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. He said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it that then hunted game and brought it to me and ate it all before you came and I blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me, also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he's taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I've made him lord over you and all his brothers. I've given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on earth high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will call my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother Fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why shall I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women, like these one of the women of the land, what good will my life be? To me. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. He went to Padam Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padam Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalahath, the daughter of Ishmael, 
Abraham's son, the sister of Neboioth. Jacob left Bathsheba and went towards Haran. They came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I do not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Well, in a moment we're going to have a look at that passage, but let me just remind you that there'll be a question time after the sermon, so you'll have an opportunity to ask the questions you may have off the back of what we've been thinking about. Also, there's a sermon outline that you may wish to use or not. And finally, let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this remarkable account as you continue to work through your people to bring about your great purpose and plan. We thank you, Lord, that you can work through all things, even through the deceitfulness of your chosen people. Amen. The account of Jacob and Rebekah stealing Esau's birthright is a story that every Sunday school child knows. But this familiarity with it might mean we overlook the tension, the controversy and the purpose of it when we revisit the account. We're to read the account in light of the prophecy that Rebecca received during her troubled pregnancy. It can be found back in Genesis 25, verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. Now we have something of the tension. God has promised that Esau will serve Jacob. At this early stage in the account, we know that Jacob will receive the blessing. And yet the means by which Jacob will receive that blessing, the one that God has promised him, will be through deceit. Jacob lies to his father, and he does so under the instruction of his mother, Rebekah. 
But we also have the character of Esau to consider. At the end of Genesis 25, verses 29 to 34, we have the short account of Esau selling his birthright to Jacob. In the account, Esau comes across a little pathetic. Exhausted, he's desperate for some of Jacob's stew. And Jacob is happy to comply, but in exchange for Esau's birthright. Now, it's very rare that a narrator comments on the ethic of any of the characters' behaviour. But here we read at the end of verse 34, thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau seems to be flippant when it comes to the responsibility of being the firstborn. And we can add to this the last two chapters of 26. Sorry, the last two verses of chapter 26. Esau is 40 years old and he marries two daughters from the Hittites. Now, given the extent to, that Abraham went to back in Genesis 24, to find a wife from, for Isaac from his own family, and the importance Abraham placed on finding a wife for Isaac, Esau once again comes across as indifferent when he takes two wives from the people that Abraham insisted Isaac must not marry from. But is this just Esau's fault? Have a look at 25, verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. Isaac married at 40. Abraham had made the preparations so he could be married. Now Esau is 40. But his father Isaac has made no preparation for him to marry an appropriate wife. Esau, left with no guidance, takes a wife or wives for himself. Either way, his marriage to two Hittite women would seem to disqualify him from the blessing. So all this context provides us with a few things to consider. God has prophesied that Jacob will receive the promise. Isaac is about to bless Esau, not Jacob. Esau is married to two Hittite women. The promise cannot go to him. Jacob, he still has no wife. He'll need a wife for the promise to be passed on. And yet by the end of today's chapter, much of this will begin to see its resolve. The journey will be messy, but the ending will be neat. The fact that Isaac only invites Esau for the blessing is intriguing. The tendency in the Old Testament is that all of the man's children be invited to the aging father's bed so he can bless each one of them. This is what we'll see in Genesis 49 when Jacob has a blessing for all 12 of his sons. But for some reason, Isaac doesn't include Jacob at all, which is surprising, particularly given the two are twins. 
However, at the same time, it's this anomaly that provides the opportunity for Jacob to steal Esau's blessing. An opportunity that wouldn't have been available had both sons been invited. Rebecca tells Jacob of her devious plan. Jacob is reluctant to go along with it, but not for any ethical reason. He's worried he's going to get caught. While Isaac cannot see, he may wish to feel Jacob's bald arms. And if he discovers it is Jacob, Isaac may curse him instead of bless him. Now, Rebecca's solution to this is significant. We'll see in verse 13. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring the things to me. Rebecca comforts Jacob. She reasons that if Jacob is cursed, then she will allow the curse given to Jacob to transfer to her. But is that possible? Can Rebecca arrange to take Jacob's curse? This could be a problem, because surely at some point Isaac is going to find out he's been tricked. And when he does, couldn't he just simply transfer the blessing from Jacob to Esau? This, of course, would undermine Rebecca's plan. She must know it isn't impossible. She must know it isn't possible because she's relying upon the very fact that blessings or curses cannot be transferred. Something that becomes evident when Isaac realises he's blessed the wrong son. Well, we know how the account unfolds. Jacob is blessed by Isaac. Esau arrives too late. Upon discovering his blessing, Esau asks for anything that Isaac may have reserved, but there's very little left. Rebecca has what she wanted. Her favourite son has the blessing. But at what cost? Esau wants to kill Jacob. And so Rebecca plans to send Jacob away just long enough for Esau to calm down. A few days? It's more than 20 years Jacob's gone. And Rebecca would never see her beloved son again. When Rebecca approaches Isaac in order to get him to safety... She's very careful to present it under the terms that he would agree with. There's no mention of Esau's desire to kill Jacob. Rather, she chooses something that they would both agree upon. They both hate Esau's wives. But again, she's very careful. She doesn't call them Esau's wives in case that prejudices Isaac. Instead, she refers to them as the Hittite women. Rebecca wants Jacob to marry within the family because she needs a reason for him to flee from Esau. And she persuades Isaac, not for the sake of God's promise, but because they both agree that Hittite women make their lives difficult. 
You may remember just a moment ago I said the journey will be messy, but the ending will be neat. Because on the one hand, our account has been filled with deceit, desire for revenge, further manipulation, and the sending away of a beloved child. But on the other hand, Jacob now has the blessing, as God had said he would have. And the unmarried Jacob is being sent to Rebekah's family to find an appropriate wife. All is not well, but God's promise is secure. And so Jacob sets off on his journey. He's alone with no shelter. And Jacob falls asleep upon a rock. And during his sleep, he has a vision that reveals, far from being alone, he's surrounded by angels. These angels are with him, and they ascend and descend from heaven, keeping God informed of his well-being. And this is confirmed by the words that God speaks. We have the promise spoke to Abraham, repeated and further expanded upon. Then in verse 15, we read, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. By all appearance, Jacob may appear to be alone. He's vulnerable, sleeping exposed, and having left his family, you would think his future would be uncertain. But in reality, God is with him, and the journey which he's about to embark upon, he will not be alone. Jacob will succeed. Because God will fulfill his promise to Abraham through Jacob. And so God will keep Jacob in all his adventures because he will have to in order to bring him back to the land. When Jacob wakes, he prays. Or to be a bit more precise, he makes a vow. It can be found in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Many people criticise Jacob for making such a prayer. It suggests a lack of faith, they say. This is the very thing that God has promised he will do. To then ask for it proves that he doubts God. But actually, rather than that, there's something quite exemplary within this prayer. God has told Jacob who he is, what he is like, how he will treat him and what he will do for him. Jacob has listened to what he said. He's accepted God plainly, just how God has revealed himself to him. 
And Jacob's response is to ask God to do the very thing that he's promised to do. This is, of course, the very thing that God has guaranteed he will do for him. And so actually, Jacob's prayer is an appropriate one. He asks God to carry out his will. He asks God to do that which he's promised to do. And this is something that we can learn from. What should we ask for God? Well, what should we ask from God? We should ask for the very things that he's promised to give us. And this is what it means when Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. To ask in the name of Jesus is to ask according to his Father's will. And what have we been promised? That our sins will be forgiven. That we will dwell with God for eternity. That we will persevere until the end. That we have every spiritual blessing. That we're seated with Christ. That we're raised up with him. That he will wipe every tear from our eye. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many promises that we have received now that are a fulfilment to those promises that you made many years ago to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We thank you that we live in this phase of redemptive history where your son has come and our sins can now be forgiven. Of all who trust in him, we're seated with him and raised up with him. We thank you, Lord, that every spiritual blessing that is on offer is now ours. And so we pray, Lord, that these would be the things that we continue to ask for, that we truly would be living and walking in your will as we get to know you better. Understand the promises you've made to us better and continue to ask you for those things that you're pleased to give to your children. Amen. Amen. I mentioned a moment ago there'd be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments in light of the things we've been thinking about. Any questions or comments? Sachi. So the question is, why was Jacob and Esau fighting all the time? To be honest, Archie, I think you're probably best placed to answer this one. <laughs> How well do you get on with your brothers? <laughs> Well, first of all, brothers have a tendency to fight. That's the first thing to say. The second thing to say... Sorry? Yeah, well, exactly. You fight a lot with Theo, don't you? Um, well, so they had an interesting relationship, did Esau and Jacob. So kind of some of the things that we've explored today, they were twins, so they were basically both the same age but Esau came out first 
So I think that made Jacob a bit jealous. But also, well, there's a, there's a few things. Yeah, so one of the things is that Jacob is called the deceiver. We had that in today's passage, didn't we? Where Isaac says, in verse 36 of chapter 27, Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me. And the footnote says, uh, Jacob means he takes by the heel or he cheats. So, and Esau experienced Jacob's cheating a number of times when he tricks him to sell his birthright and he steals his things, so uh, steals his blessing. So that's why Esau doesn't like Jacob. Another thing that's worth bearing in mind is Isaac and Rebecca's relationship with their children. So Isaac, his favourite son is Esau, and Rebecca, her favourite son, is Jacob. Which isn't really helpful, because to have favourite children is going to mean that they don't get on very well, and you put one above the other. So I think they're all the sorts of factors that mean they fight quite a bit. But what's interesting about today's story is that even though the two brothers didn't get on, it was in those two brothers not getting on that God was able to bring about his plan to bless the younger and to send him to Laban so that he would marry someone from the family. So even though they were being naughty, God was able to fulfil his promises in it. Is that all right? Any other questions? Yes, Nikki. Yeah, that's a good question. So just to repeat it for the recording. So back in chapter 25, you have Jacob um, Esau selling his birthright to Jacob. So now he has the birthright, but that doesn't automatically mean he gets the blessing because then he has to deceive for the blessing as well. Yeah, it's a peculiar one. To be honest, it's one that I've often wondered about, and um, I probably should have had a look at it this week. <laughs> so I think the way I've always understood it, <clears throat> I think originally my thought process was, well, if he's got the birthright, then surely Isaac is obliged to bless Jacob. And you think the two are quite interlinked and kind of go together. But I think maybe they're not quite as connected as we may think. Plus also, I mean, 
I don't know, what does it actually look like to sell your birthright? And was this just an agreement between the two of them? So you'd expect the firstborn to get the inheritance, therefore, like you say, the firstborn, it would make sure make sense for them to get the blessing. But then here you've got this peculiar thing where, I mean, does Isaac know that this arrangement is made? Even if he does know that the arrangement has been made, does he see any anything to it? And as actually maybe that maybe that may explain why Isaac's thinking, well, okay, I'm gonna call Esau, not Jacob, because regardless of whether he sold this birthright or not, I want to bless um, Esau, not Jacob. So I th- they're the sort of things that I'm thinking about in my mind. I'm not sure whether there's any further clarity elsewhere. Yes, Nathan. Yeah, I think it would be fascinating when we get to Genesis 49 as well, because obviously a lot more complicated, because there are kind of 13 or 12 brothers, depending how you look at it. So, yeah, we'll have to see. But And then it also gets more complicated as well, because obviously now these are the tribes of Israel. So the blessing kind of goes to all of them, but doesn't go to all of them. So, yeah, lots to look forward to. Yes, Helen. Good question. Are blessings and curses relevant today, or are they not part of this phase of redemptive history? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think the commentator makes the comment about these blessings that these patriarchs make. Um, when they make these blessings, you might think of them as, oh, you know, it's just a hopeful prayer. I hope that you will be blessed, sort of thing. But then we see that actually it's much more than that. They have a prophetic nature to it. Um, So, for example, like this one where you will serve the, the older will serve the younger, we see that played out. So there's something quite significant going on when these, you know, if we remember they're patriarchs, that it's, you know, these are the ones who have the promises of blessing their family. We saw it also in Joshua a few weeks ago at Growth Group as well, didn't we, that Joshua said anyone who would, um, anyone who rebuilt Jericho would be cursed. I think they'd lose one son for one aspect of it and their other son for another aspect of it. And then we can lead later on in one or two kings, someone does rebuild Jericho and they lose both their sons. So for that reason, they become quite momentous. And again, I I think one of the things that people overlook is who are making these um, blessings. You know, this isn't just, oh, you know, the local Israelite down at the corner shop has, has blessed 
so and so or whatever. These are the big wigs, as it were. You know, this is Abraham and Jacob and, and the likes. So I think if we go around blessing and cursing one another, it's probably not going to come to much. And then more broadly as well, we're in the phase of redemptive history where the blessings and the curses and the promises have been fulfilled in Christ. The one parallel that I think we do find in the New Testament, I think we mentioned a few weeks back. So if you bless Abraham, you'll be blessed. If you curse Abraham, you'll be cursed. And there's a similar um, approach to Jesus. If you deny him, you'll be denied. But if you believe in him, he will... Um, it all, how, does it, how do you put it? Um, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. So I think the blessings and curses aspect is still there, in that there is one through, our bless, who, through whom our blessing can be found, but also through whom we can be cursed. That helpful? Okay, let's leave it there. And we're going to sing... Two sins have we committed, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together.